Welcome to Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. A deadline edition of Smith and Jones as the NBA trade deadline has now come and gone. And there were quite a few moves over the, uh, you know, over the course of the day and, and across the association. Nothing necessarily earth-shattering. The bigger moves came, I think, earlier in the year when we think about James Harden, certainly when we think about the Toronto Raptors and, and you know, OG Ananobi and that trade, obviously Pascal Siakam, uh, you know, uh, Terry Rozier-Jonesy with Kyle Lowry. The big moves were made already before deadline day, but still plenty to dive into. And from a Raptors perspective, two separate trades that we can now chat um, and get the kind of insight from a guy who's been covering the Raptors since day one from the Toronto Star, national NBA writer as well, Doug Smith-Smitty. Always appreciate the time. Uh, thanks, guys. I'm glad to be here. So, so, Doug, let me ask you this off the bat before we get to the actual deals that were made. Are you surprised at anybody that's still on the Raptors roster that ultimately wasn't moved on deadline day? Well, I, I wouldn't thought there had been a, an offer for Bruce Brown that apparently never materialized, mostly because of his value. And um, uh, we talked to Bobby Webster about it, and he said they did nothing met the threshold of what they wanted to get for him. And they still, you know, there's a lot of uh, intrigue with his contract and the way it's structured in, in June after the season ends. But, you know, they set a very high threshold for what they wanted, and they couldn't get it. But I thought they would have got what they wanted to move him, and it didn't happen. So... Doug, and this is something that Eric and I have talked about. Um, with, this, with the youth movement firmly in place, uh, you think about you know, uh, getting Ochai Abaji in here with, with uh, Kelly Olenek, and you know, you've got Grady, who's a young player. You do need some vets. And is Bruce Brown, I mean, he's not on the same timeline as these guys, but is Bruce Brown not a decent vet to kind of, you know, be a good example, a, a hard worker, kind of a grinder type in the locker room for a lot of these young guys? Yeah, I suppose. I, I, I suppose he is and will be the longer he's here. I'm not sure he's had any chance to have that impact yet. And I don't expect to be on the team in September, so I'm not sure that that's going to be part of it. I mean, having Garrett Temple around for a full year has been a big deal. And I think next year, if they re-sign Kelly Olenek in the summer, as I'm virtually sure they will, he may fill that role. So, yeah, you know, Bruce Brown for the next 30 games might be that guy. Um, or, you know, Bruce Brown might say, hey, I'm playing on a 25-win team. Maybe I'm not going to be that gritty, grindy kind of guy because what's it going to give me? Interesting. Um, and for folks that are just tuning in, I mean, if you haven't already looked at your phone or looked at a website or, or, or looked at social media or whatever, again, the Raptors uh, dealt Otto Porter, Kyra Lewis, and a first-round pick. Uh, to the Utah Jazz for Kelly Olenek and Oche Abaji, and also then sent Dennis Schroeder uh, to the Brooklyn Nets along with Thaddeus Young in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie. They have since waived Spencer Dinwiddie, so Dinwiddie will not be on the Raptors roster, and there's some savings there financially and certainly flexibility financially that comes in the offseason by uh, not having Dinwiddie on the team, but also in getting out of that year, that extra year on the contract that would have been there with Dennis Schroeder. So, Smitty, having said all of that, you walk out of the day with a player that you anticipate re-signing in the offseason in Olenek, a player that is at a, a good, controllable number that might have some good upside as a as a former top 15 pick in Abaji. Um, where it stands now, then, in terms of where the Raptors go the last you know couple of months of the season, do you think it's a matter of simply trying to evaluate or still making a push for you know, the play-in and trying to get to the 10th seed? Like, where do you kind of see the dust settling as the Raptors get set to open up a homestand? 
Paul's absolutely evaluating, but I don't think it's with an eye towards winning or losing. I think they'll play and see what happens. We asked, we asked Bobby about that today in a, in a sort of roundabout way. Are, are you tanking? Do you want to keep your pick and finish in the bottom six? He said, we just want to play and find out where we are. And whatever comes, comes. Like it, I don't think it really matters whether they get the, 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 the top six pick that they have to give up again, again next year, whether they use it this year or use it next year. I don't think it really matters at all. This is going to be about seeing how this group of six or seven or eight young kids, because can they figure out how to play? And if they figure out how to play and win, and they get to 10 or 9, that's great. But if they don't, I don't think it's an earth-shattering problem either. Interesting, Doug, because, you know, we were, we were saying so many people were, the fan base, let's put it this way, kind of frustrated with the fact that it didn't look like the team had picked a direction. It's pretty clear what the direction is now, isn't it? And, and, and now that you have that direction, as you said, uh, not necessarily with an eye towards either winning or losing or, or, or tanking, but um, just seeing how things go, I, I think people have to pack their patience right now as well, don't they? They're getting what they asked for. People, I, I've been for years, with here, oh, you got to tear it down, you got to blow it up. Well, guess what? They started blowing up in December, and the team's 2-13 and 13 in the last 15 games. So get, this is what this is what some fans wanted, and they can't whine about it when it's here. And I, I know it's going to be a long process. It's not going to be this year. It's not going to be next year. It might not be the year after that. But all these people said, hey, we got to knock it down, build it back up. Well, guess what? The knockdown started. And the knockdown's not over yet. And the building up process is going to take years. So be careful what you wish for, folks, because there's some pain coming. So, Smitty, further to that point, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm guilty of of, of having slightly rose colored. They're, they're not fully rose colored, Smitty, but but there's a, there's at least a, a slight hue, a little tint to this. Am I wrong to think that as much as what you say is likely accurate, that it could be you know could be a struggle, could be a grind? Can the Raptors put themselves, or have the Raptors put themselves in a position with the financial flexibility that they could have in the off season, with some pretty decent young pieces already in place? With some draft picks coming, could it be that they turn things around relatively quick? Like, i.e., I'll use the example of the Indiana Pacers. Just a couple of years ago, they make a move with Sabonis for Halliburton, and then they make a move for Pascal Siakam, and they obviously had some some great drafts in in Matherin and 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 others and Emhard. Like, could you do it rather quickly, or do you think this might be a grind for a while? Well, if you're looking. You know, Eric, I agree. They have some very good, intriguing young pieces here, no question about it. But the comparison of the Pacers is interesting because that was last year. Now it's this year. Now we're talking about the year after this year. And then, so that's four years before they become a legitimate True. good team. Yep. So, yeah, in four years, they're going to be really good if they're starting right now. If this is the, the time that the Pacers made some bonus for uh, the Sabonis trade, the next year is when they add a couple pieces in the draft to get a little bit better. Their third year, they're okay. And the fourth year, they're really good. Well, that's three years from now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, Doug, I, I'm with you. And, and look, we've always said this because people talk about, uh, you know, tearing it down. It's easy to tear it down. The tough part comes when you've got to build it back up and then draft the right people, develop uh, you know, uh, maintain or, or foster that chemistry 
and then have a little bit of luck. You know, it's, it's only been five years since the championship, but it feels like at times that it was a long, long time ago. And you're right. It's, it's going to take a while to, to put this thing back together. And I keep saying this, you, you need to pack your patience. hundred percent. Now they could do it. They could do it more quickly. They could hit a home run in a trade. They could hit a home run. You know, they have a lot of assets in the summer to make a big trade. They have extra draft picks. They're going to have a lot of intriguing contracts, not the least of which will be Bruce Brown's $23 million deal that if they pick up the options is an expiring contract next year. They're out from underneath $12.5 million Dennis Schroeder dollars. So there are ways for them to make a big splash, but big splashes are hard. The last big splash might have been Kawhi Leonard to Toronto in 2018. Wait, like yeah. you, you look at the other moves, but every talks about them not being able to get free agents. Well, I can't think of the last time a significant free agent signed with a good team and made it better. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving did not do it in Brooklyn. The Lakers got good when, when, when LeBron went, but they traded for Paul, for, uh, Paul George. The, the, the Clippers made trades rather than uh, uh, free agent signings. I uh, think Davis and Paul George to the Clippers. There are... The free agency thing is like a, it's like this weird thing that people hold out there, like it happens. It doesn't happen. You have to make a few trades and have the assets to make those trades. And finally, the Raptors are getting some assets, extra first-round picks, a bunch of young players so who are on relatively inexpensive deals. Now they maybe have some things to go to market with. They haven't had those things in years. Smitty? We appreciate the time on a very busy day, and uh, no doubt we'll be bugging you at some point before the end of the year, and I uh, uh, hope you can still find some enjoyment in this last little bit here to, to, to sit in your perch and look down on this team as you've done for so many years. All the best, man. No problem, sir. Talk to you guys later on. That was Doug Smith from the Toronto Star. All right, Jones, we kind of hit the show, like, rolling. We just we went right into Doug. We, we got things tracking with Smitty. But we haven't had a chance to, to, to kind of give our own two cents. So before we step aside, we're going to have Scott Perry coming up shortly, uh, the former general manager of the New York Knicks. But, Jonesy, what do you think about the, what the Raptors did or didn't do today and your, your thoughts on, on, you know, the new bodies, the new faces? Well, uh, to me, Eric, it, it sure looks like, uh, you know, everybody was – uh, upset that the Raptors hadn't picked a direction at the beginning of the year. You know, it's the same team. You're almost running it back for the third straight season. Well, they picked a direction now, and it's pretty obvious. They're going young, and they're going to try and build this thing with a young core. When you think about Scotty, you think about uh, Quickly, Barrett, Ochai Abaji, uh, Grady Dick. Like they're, they're, There's like five or six young pieces there. And, and you're, tr- you're trying to build with them. And that means you see stuff like you saw maybe in, 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 in Houston. Uh, you see stuff like you saw in New Orleans. Uh, you see stuff like you saw in OKC. And, and you see wins like you did against Charlotte. And those are the, you know, the vicissitudes and vagaries with a, a young team. So there is a direction now. And that's what we're, we're Raptor fans need to uh, focus on and accept the fact that they're going to have to be patient and leave the front office to do their work. They've got some cap room. Uh, you know, they've got expiring contracts. I think this is, a, this is the reset. It's happening now. And if you're a Raptor fan, you have to be encouraged, but at the same time, pack your patience. 
I I agree with you almost entirely, but I am going to give you a but. The but is is Kelly Olynyk here for you know let's call it thirty games, or is he potentially signed in the off season? Is Chris Boucher part of the present, let alone future, or not? Where do we land with Gary Trent when the off season rolls around? And the reason I bring those names up, Jonesy, it's not like I was necessarily expecting you know two of those guys as you know current Raptors to necessarily be dealt um, and I'm not against the addition of a player of Kelly Olynyk's skill level let alone character but as much as they are young they still do have veteran pieces Bruce Brown being another part of that so in moving forward yeah you don't want to just go ahead with all young dudes and necessarily just like completely go young 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 you want some of those vets and some of those glue guys and some of those right voices in the locker room but do they not have a little bit more than what they need in that standpoint right now? Or do you think that kind of resolves itself and addresses itself once the offseason rolls around? No, no, I, that's a good point, Eric. And, and like, you know, I cited the young core moving forward and the young guys moving forward, but you do need some vets to teach them. And, you know, you get a guy like Gary Trent, who is considered a young vet now, right? He's been in the league for a while, uh, you know, still – has has a voice i don't know if he's that you know outward vocal leader but you need a guy like that you need a guy like a bruce brown you need a kelly olenek it's it's okay to have those guys because when you're totally young and you you know you get into a a spiral where things are are, are trending downward you need some vets to have some perspective you know i you know a garrett temple people like that so I, I, I like what's going on in Toronto. I, it, there is a direction. Um, you, listen, you have some flexibility, and I think they're at a really good spot right now. They're at a really good place. And, and again, I guess it's my um, you know, appeal to the, to the fan base because you and I were there for you know, Dwayne Casey's 23 and 43 in the first year, the lockout season, you know, when – they put the team together in a week and then played 66 games, sometimes on back-to-back-to-back nights. And it culminated in a championship, you know, seven or eight years later. He wasn't around to see it, but, you know, some of these guys won't be either. But you've got a direction now, and, and, and you're building, and you've got some veterans, and you've got some young guys, and you just need to be patient as you work through it. It's not going to be a straight line, but you're going to have to work through it. You know, the other thing as well, and it's it's obvious, and I know we, we kind of hit on this at least to some extent with, with Smitty. There's two points I, I guess I want to make maybe in closing, Jones, and you can rebut if you like. Again, I think the addition of Olenek for as long as he's here, if it's for 30 games or for an entire season or more beyond this, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. I think he's the right guy. I think he's a good fit. But I think we could probably make the case that this deal is done as much for for Obaji as it is for Olenek in terms yeah. of a young player that's a former top 15 pick that's at a very controllable number in terms of the salary that you have under your control for at least a couple of few more years and it's potentially untapped talent that you maybe can get something out of so I like that standpoint and with the trade with Dennis Schroeder and the acquisition of Dinwiddie, even with waiving him and then factoring in the potential of whether it's Olenek, whether it's Trent, whether they're both back, whether they're both gone or one's gone, one's, whatever, the Raptors are going to have financial flexibility in the offseason. Now, having money and getting someone to take your money 
is a different story, but it also allows you to be a player then in a trade where you're maybe sending out 20 but getting back 40. And that might be where the Raptors make their strike, Jonesy, in terms of making a trade as opposed to having to rely on a free agent. Because as it exists right now, and I know Bobby Webster addressed this in his in his press conference a little bit, they still want to see some more time with Scotty at the point. But the Raptors are pretty thin at the point. I don't know if that will be addressed in the draft. I don't know if that will be addressed in free agency or in trade. But there are some holes, and I think that you've now put yourself in a position with still a couple of first-round draft picks to, to, to flirt with and to potentially deal with, with money to spend now, that you could take this in a couple of different directions and at least give yourself a chance. I'm not going to say it's going to happen because, hell, anything could happen. This team could be terrible for five, ten more years, or they could strike, boom, and be real good again real quick. Look at the Indiana Pacers. They've done it in, like, two years. Look at the Sacramento Kings, or to your point, look at – Look at OKC. Yeah, they're the, the bell of the ball right now, but it took a long time to get there. But they, I think Toronto's in a position where they can juke and drive in a lot of different directions once this summertime rolls around. I agree. I agree. There, there's flexibility. There's room for growth. And you've got a good timeline, Eric, because uh, it's there's, there's no rush right now. You want to win. You want to win quickly. But you have the, the, the capability of trying to at least build it properly. Uh, and not make mistakes. So I wouldn't say the slate has been wiped clean, but it's it's a it's a pretty open canvas right now. All right, let's step aside for the break. When we come back, we will talk with former Knicks general manager Scott Perry. It's Smith and Jones. Welcome back to Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones, with you again. Subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. Share it, folks. Spread the wealth. Spread the love of Smith and Jones. As we bring into the conversation right now, longtime NBA executive, former New York Knicks general manager from ESPN, Scott Perry. Scott, great to have you on, and uh, it is <laughs> terrific um, having somebody that has been in the room. What? what? My first question is, and we know that you're doing a lot of media, what's it like on the inside when you are sitting there in, the, in your war room or with your front office team and that clock is running down and you have some deals that really might help your team and, and you're just trying to work towards the end of them? The pressure has to be immense in that sense. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure during that time, but I, like anything else, uh, you rely on your preparation. And so, in, in my case, in my years as a front office executive over 23 years, uh, I always felt that we were greatly prepared for trade deadlines because what we did, we got started uh, coming out of training camp, really. So we had a, a plethora of meetings with, um, you know, executive uh, front office staff, pro scouts, uh, analytics team. And, uh, you know, you just start really tracking your team and tracking the league. And you, you toss around a lot of trade concepts and proposals all throughout this early part of the season. So that as you get down to the home stretch, the, the final week of the deadline and to the final day, you have really vetted out what deals are real that have a chance of happening and you really are just focusing on trying to push, whether it be one, two, or how many ever you're looking to, to do over the finish line. And you and you also know that all of your peers 
now under the time clock. And because uh, I will say this, a lot of times during trade deadline, there's a lot of what I call busy talk or talk that doesn't lead anywhere leading up to the deadline. But when you when you get to this day, all that has to go out the window. So uh, I always just had time for those who were no pretenders, just those who were really serious about trying to get something done, and then you just put your best foot forward and you live with the results. Scott, let me ask, a, or, or even dig a little bit deeper on that. And, and listen, after covering the league for over 25 years, I'm even guilty of this sometimes. A lot of fans, I think, will hear the word or the name scout, and they just associate that with either game-to-game scout, next opponent scout, or more specifically, mm-hmm. draft scout, scouting the mm-hmm. college players, scouting you know for, for June's draft. I don't think a lot of people really clue in or put as much attention and focus on, oh, yeah, pro scouting. How important is that over the course of the season, the pro scouting, and trying to evaluate players within the league that could help you? And beyond just the X's and O's, guys that might fit the personality of the team, what you're looking for from an individual, all of those types of things. Uh, Great question, Eric. And I have seen the pro scouting uh, staffs grow over my time in the NBA. You know, when I first started, you really and you, you double dipped. I did both collegiate and pro scouting, and we were smaller staffs. But as staffs begin to grow, you were <clears throat> able to become much more specialized. And what you rely on with your pro scouts is that they're out seeing games all year long. They get in the games two, three hours ahead of time, talking to everybody in the arena from uh, coaches on both teams to their players they know and just trying to get a sense, to your point, of the person. You know, you, you're going to be able to determine whether the player has the skill set or and, and, and the, the necessary statistics that you're looking for uh, to add to your team. But you, the point you bring up about the person and the character and the fit, you can't separate those two. You can't separate the talent from the person. And so that was always something hugely important to me uh, and the places that I work is having that full scope of who that person is because that's what's going to determine whether your trade a lot of times becomes successful. Does that individual have the personality to come in and fit with new teammates on the fly, fit with a new coaching staff, and is he committed to the things that you've uh, committed uh, yourself and your organization to, and then, you know, and that's winning and hopefully one day becoming champion. So that's a great question, and I think that's missed a lot of times when, when people start talking about who teams should add and, 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 and who they shouldn't add. It's the personality comp- uh, uh, component because basketball is a team game, and you're heavily reliant upon guys being able to fit, uh, again, not only from a skill standpoint, but from a personality standpoint, and uh, that's hugely important. Uh, Scott, there was, and so I'll, I'll, I'll follow up with Eric's, uh, you know, question around the chemistry and the fit uh, in addition to the skill set. When I look at some of the things that happened today, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a guy like a Pat Beverly can be polarizing but he's he's going to milwaukee now where you know he might have you know he he had that issue with dame and touching his watch like the watch was broken and then uh, you look at a a royce o'neill going to 
Phoenix, which I think is a good fit. Like there, there are, yeah. who, do you, who do you think made out well today? Like, you know what? That's not a big name. That's not a big move. It, it doesn't, you know, move heaven and earth, but that's a good pickup mm-hmm. for them, and they're going to be better for that. Who, 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 who got better? Yeah, let me address those two first because I think both of those teams did well considering the the salary cap uh, constraints that they were under, quite frankly. So you talk about Phoenix and Royce O'Neal. They needed somebody who could defend on the wing, multiple positions. And, oh, yeah, as a bonus, he could knock down uh, open three-point shots. They don't need him for his scoring or being able to create off the dribble. They have three of the best scores in the game on one team. But they needed that uh, to, to bolster their defensive capabilities on the perimeter. So I think that was a, a sneaky, good move uh, that won't get a lot of fanfare, but I think it will translate well on the court. Uh, as it relates to uh, Patrick Beverly going to Milwaukee, um the thing there is he play he's played for Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers knows him. Doc Rivers is the new coach there. I think getting Pat Beverly there, the the team needed to get better defensively. He's gonna add that to that team for sure. He's gonna bring toughness. You know, he's about winning. And you know, a funny thing happens. Uh guys who may have had, you know, competitive uh disagreements uh, when they were playing for different teams before when they joined on the same group like this you know this is when you learn about again the character of everybody and from what I know about Dame Lillard and when I've been able to witness with Pat Beverly moving from team to team having been uh, a thorn in a lot of guys side before he you know joined those teams um I think they're going to be able to put that aside because they've got one goal and one goal in, in mind, and that's winning the championship this year. So I like the move. It was a, it was a quiet move. And I, I'll tell you another team that I thought uh, quietly did pretty well today that won't get a ton of fanfare, and that's the Dallas Mavericks. They needed to go out and bolster their front line. Uh, you know, they've got a young player that's playing play really well, but it's been sidelined with some injuries for a little while. That's Derek Lively. But he's young and he's a rookie. But he's going to play and he's going to play in the playoffs. But they needed uh, some additional reinforcement there. I think uh, Daniel Gafford brings that to them. And then to go get P.J. Washington. They needed um, a four-man who could score. Could um, stretch the floor. Could play off of Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. So uh, I think those two teams uh, made sure that they don't get left too far behind. The Western Conference is extremely competitive. I think those moves for both of those teams will help them both at least remain in that top six in the Western Conference and, and, get, and be ready to uh, be highly competitive teams when the, the playoffs start. Hey, Scott, let me circle back to, to Milwaukee for a second with, with Patrick Beverly. D- to be clear, I don't know if either of you saw it, but, but – um... Chris Haynes did say that he spoke with Dame Lillard uh, a little bit earlier, and and I'm just going to read part of the quote. Uh, He did say, Pat brings an edge and a defensive tenacity on the perimeter. There aren't many players who bring it on a nightly basis like him. I look forward to working together. Our past personal issues don't trump an opportunity to win a championship. So so he's already coming in with a great attitude and putting stuff behind him like you kind of just alluded to and said. What surprised me a little bit was, 
two teams that are battling one another in the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia and Milwaukee, making a move. Now, with due respect to Pat Beverly, this is maybe not the same as Milwaukee acquiring Dame Lillard, giving up on Drew Holiday, only to end up having Drew Holiday land with the Boston Celtics, which I'm sure they didn't necessarily foresee. But I was a little bit surprised to see two teams that are going nose-to-nose making a deal together. Yeah, Yeah. that's a little on the unique side. I I would have to agree with you on that, Uh, you know, especially when you – Coming down the stretch run uh, like this, and uh, you don't, you're not trying to help your competitor. Um, but what it also signals or suggests to me, and I don't have any inside information uh, to this, but I'm guessing that uh, a team like Philadelphia is going to be looking into the buyout market, and you know, a name that's been tossed around is Kyle Lowry. Um, who had played in Houston uh, when the GM, Daryl Morey, was there. And, uh, you know, maybe they've got eyes on that happening and being able to try to replace Patrick Beverly with someone like him. That is a total um, educated guess on my part to, you know, kind of understanding what, you know, why uh, they would decide to do that uh, or possibly what could have happened when they made that move. They might have been in conversations with other teams to uh, trade for another player that was going to replace Patrick Beverly at that time, and maybe that deal fell through, uh, you know, prior to the deadline ending. So I, it's got to be one of those two things, I think. Uh, it's Scott, and, and this is where I'll call on your expertise as a guy who had to work around the cap. I, I agree. I mean, I, I like Philadelphia makes that move and there's got to be something in the bag somewhere that they're doing. But I look at the, mm-hmm. the new CBA now and, you know, the payroll uh, sets one standard, one apron, and then there's a second apron and then there are contingencies and, 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 and guidelines, limitations around that in terms of how mm-hmm. much a guy makes uh, you know, he can't make more than the mid-level, all of these things. Does that limit a place where a guy like, let's say, Kyle Lowry could end up, where Spencer Dinwiddie, who is reportedly, you know, he was yep. bought out by the Raptors, does it limit where those guys can end up and maybe make it tougher yes, for a contender? It does. And uh, I believe you got uh, about nine teams that are in that um, in that bucket that you're you're speaking to, because uh, anybody that had a pre-existing salary above twelve point four million dollars, these teams can't sign. So I know teams <clears throat> like Phoenix, Milwaukee, um, Denver, uh, some of the uh, uh, I believe Boston, your upper echelon teams, the Clippers, are <clears throat> in that bucket. I don't believe that uh, Philadelphia is in that bucket, though. However, so, you know, that could be a potential landing spot. But a lot of your top playoff teams currently are in that. So that makes it very difficult. Mm -hmm. Now you're limited to guys in the buyout market who are making below $12.4 million before being bought out. And and for the most part, you know, again, you're not going to get the same level of player 
that may have been on a larger salary if you if you one of those teams. So again, Denver's a team is a prime example that didn't do anything at the deadline. And I personally think they need to add some sort of presence coming off their bench. Uh, because I thought that Bruce Brown and uh, Jeff Green last year were very important to their championship efforts. And watching them this year, I haven't seen anyone necessarily step into that role. You know, you've, you know, Reggie Jackson is still there, and he's he's a good player, and, and obviously going to be helpful to the cause. But they're trying to develop a couple of younger players and. And Brown, the kid from Kansas, and um, Peyton Watson from UCLA, and you just don't quite know yet if they're going to be ready uh, to produce consistently like they, you need them to in the playoffs to to defend their title. Scott, in mentioning Bruce Brown, let me maybe shift the tension a little bit to to the team that that we focus obviously a lot on in, in Toronto mm-hmm. and in Canada with the Raptors. Um, Brown. Mm-hmm. A lot of speculation was that he will likely get flipped. Ultimately, the Raptors did not, if they were even seeking out a trade, did not find uh, a suitable uh, suitor, uh, a suitable offer for mm-hmm. him. He still remains mm-hmm. with the team. Gary Trent still here. Chris Boucher still here. But they did trade Dennis Schroeder. They got rid of Thad Young. Uh, traded away mm-hmm. Otto Porter as well. A couple of bodies coming in, most notably another Canadian in, in Kelly Olynyk. What do you make of the mm-hmm. direction the Raptors are in now? Because it's—I mean—the direction might only be for 30 games, the, essentially the rest of the season. But you've got a mm-hmm. good young core, but yet you need some complementary pieces still. You clearly need to get better, but you've got money to spend now in the off season. Is this like? Do the Raptors have a lot of different ways to pivot right now, or how do you kind of see what the future holds for the Raptors? <clears throat> yeah, I think it's—I think it's positive uh, to be honest with you. And they made the the trade with the New York Knicks, I thought that was a real win-win trade for both teams, to be honest. Uh, OG was what the Knicks needed, a a bigger defender who really didn't need the basketball, but getting back uh, R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly, I think both of those guys are going to be good to run the Raptors for some time. Uh, They were highly productive uh, in New York, high-character guys, and they're about the right stuff, and they really want to win basketball games and very, very competitive. So I like that move to add with Scotty Barnes. So now you've got a good young nucleus with everybody, I believe, under the age of 24 right now. Uh, I did think that uh, the Raptors needed size because uh, with the exception of – Jakob Pearl on the roster, there was no size. And it was very noticeable when I watched the team when he was out uh, just a couple weeks ago, and they really struggled uh, with that lack of size. Adding Kelly Olenek, he's a different type of a center than Pirtle because he can step out and stretch the floor. And so and, and in observing or evaluating what they did with the trade to get him, I believe they sent out a uh, – first round pick right Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken and so um, that leads me to believe that they're going to try to re-sign him I would imagine unless you know uh, because when you give up an asset like that being a first round pick like that that would be my guess that you're trying to keep that player Um, and I think again I think he adds to, to the quality the depth to the team and that's very important uh, as it relates to Bruce Brown not moving him, I'm not totally um, shocked 
uh, by that because, again, the teams that probably really wanted Bruce Brown were some of those higher-end teams we talked about that were salary cap challenged a little bit and probably were unwilling to give up you know, a player that's making $20 million is, you know, probably a good player on those teams and probably weren't willing to make that exchange. So uh, I think it was a smart move holding on to him. Uh, you hold the option on him. He's a good player. He's a tough player. He's a winning player. So uh, worst case scenario, he's a Raptor for next year, and I think he can help the group. Uh, but he also, you know, had the ability to to pick up his option and, and use him as a a major uh, trade chip as well. So I like that uh, flexibility that he presents. I think the big question will be with uh, Gary Trent. You know, it's a team that needs perimeter shooting, and he obviously provides that. You know, can they figure out a way, you know, to you know resign and keep him if they so choose to, uh, because it's. You know, shooting is so valuable in the league today. He provides it in a major way. And so uh, my guess is they're going to try to, you know, figure out a way to keep him. Uh, Well, Scott, you know, it's something that Eric and I talked about, too, because when he got to Toronto, I mean, Bruce Brown's a guy that you, I always say you pick him when you go to the park because he's a winning player. He can, you know, it's not how big you are, it's how big you play. And I think he's got some experience, too, having been around the league that can help teach these young guys before he is eventually moved and you know you talked about a couple guys Scott and I know they're near and dear having drafted them in New York when you you think about Mm RJ Merritt and Emmanuel quickly evaluate where you think they are on their developmental curve right now going forward because RJ's come to Toronto Scott and he has been he he has been a dog man he's been playing downhill Mm -hmm. he's been rebounding uh, Quickly's learning how to mm. run a team. Like you yes. probably saw a plan for them in five years. Where do you see them now along that continuum? And see, that's why I thought the trade was good for both teams, and quite frankly, probably good for the individual players themselves. In RJ's case, you know, RJ's a scorer, and you alluded to the fact how he likes to get downhill, plays down here, and he needs the ball a little bit. Now, we, he was playing with two very do, ball-dominant players who really dictated the offensive flow of games, and that's Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. So there would be moments of times that by, when RJ did get the ball, you felt like he was rushing or trying to force his way into action. Because, look, you know, RJ was 18 to 20-point-a-game score his entire time in New York. So I think that led to some of the inefficiencies in his game uh, what I've witnessed with him in Toronto, which I've been very pleased to see, he's become much more efficient. That's something that uh, uh, you know used to have a lot of conversations with him about. You can average 20, 25 points in the league uh, on a lot less shots if you're taking the right kind of shots. And it seems the way that they're playing there in Toronto, it, it, it really fits him. I mean, he's, he's willing to do that. And I think that's why you're seeing a really good version of him now. And hopefully now he's just got to remain consistent in that manner, keep getting better at making the spot-up shots when they present themselves. And uh, he's going to do well getting to the basket night in and night out. That's one of his strengths to get to the free-throw line. He's improved as a free-throw shooter. That was always the challenge to him to get above 80% because he should be shooting six to eight free-throws every night. 
the way he attacks, uses his body uh, to try to finish at the rim. As Emmanuel quickly, tremendous worker. I mean, he, the guy is a, a gym rat, and so is RJ. But quickly, really stands out with that. I mean, he is a basketball junkie. And one thing you didn't get a chance to see a lot of him do in New York is what you're uh, giving him the opportunity to do there in Toronto, and that is run the team. You know, he was really tasked in New York with coming off the bench and bringing an offensive spark every night. And that offensive spark mainly means shooting and scoring the basketball. He did it at a high level last year. You know, he was, you know, arguably the sixth man of the year. I know he got runner-up, but he played terrific. Uh, I know he's been looking for that challenge of becoming a starter in the league. I definitely think he is good enough, uh, and and he's a hard enough worker, and he's a student of the game. He really studies the game. So he's going to embrace this opportunity to become a starting point guard in this league that can help a team win. Uh, so I think the uh, the Raptors fans are going to enjoy both of those guys because they're going to they're going to give them an, give you an effort every single night and uh, winning is going to be hugely important to both of them. Uh, last one, we we, we are thankful mm-hmm. for your time. We know it's a a crazy day, but when you look at mm-hmm. uh, the teams toward the top, we've talked about the you know the move by Phoenix, the move by Milwaukee, Boston made a little move. Clippers made their move when they got James Harden. Denver Absolutely. really didn't do re, didn't Denver really didn't do anything amongst those teams. And is there anybody else that you would say, you know what? Look out for these guys if they get healthy and they get everybody together. Who would you? I'm not asking you for a, a finals prediction, but give me some teams mm-hmm. that you would say, hey man, keep your eye on these guys. Well, you know we've talked about them. We haven't talked about the team specifically yet, but the Knicks, where I just left from a year ago, I think got better today at the deadline. They needed to replace Emmanuel quickly scoring off the bench. They doubled down on that today because they got two very good scores. You know, Alec Burks <clears throat> obviously is, is a tremendous scorer off the bench. He can create off the bounce and he can <clears throat> shoot it from the perimeter. And then you have... Uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, who probably is going to be starting for a little while right now with the absence of uh, Julius Randle, and he's averaging 20 points a game. So now you have a team that not only wants to play a physical brand of basketball, very capable defensively, but now they've got shooters all around the floor. And they can shoot with about anybody. When you put, you can put on the floor Bogdanovic, uh, Burks, um, Jalen Brunson, Dante DiVincenzo, OG Ananobi, you know, that's five really, really good shooters right there on your roster, you know, on your roster. And uh, a lot of teams would like to have that mix. So that would be one team that I think uh, has a chance to to challenge. Uh, You know, Denver, I never count out the former champions. You know, they're the champs until you knock them out. I, I am concerned with their bench. And they didn't address that today, but you still got to figure they're going to be right there. Uh, the winners of the the trade season, if you will, uh, and I don't think I would have said this. I know I didn't say this at the time of the trade was the Clippers and getting James Harden. Just seeing how that has manifested over the past couple months, uh, they to me look as it, as good as any team 
over in the Western Conference. Uh, they're going to be a real tough out. And, uh, this might, as long as they stay healthy, uh, they could be a team that I would not be surprised to see make it to the finals. Um, Milwaukee, I'm going to still have to see on the East side. I'm going to have to see how they come together. Um, because, you know, obviously something has been missing from a defensive standpoint. Uh, let's see what happens with the addition of Pat Beverly and, and how long it takes, you know, Doc's presence to <clears throat> be a positive impact uh, with that team. So, you know, that'll be, a, that's still a work in progress. And then you talked, you mentioned the Boston Celtics as another team. They made a small move at the deadline, bringing the uh, young man uh, Tillman in from Memphis. They, similar to Denver, uh, to me, don't have the strongest of benches. You know, Boston has Al Horford, obviously, this, uh, you know, very seasoned and, and, and excellent contributor off the bench. And But, you know, he's a year older now. Um, who's going to be that real seventh or eighth man for them that's going to really, you know, step up and be consistently? I think Tim is going to help them. From a physical nature on the inside as a backup and somebody who would defend and willing to do the work, dirty work. But uh, I think they have, a, you know, arguably the best starting five uh, over in the Eastern Conference for sure. Um, so we'll have to wait and see, you know, how, how all that comes together for that team. Scott, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us and uh, and, and really appreciate all the insight. Thank you guys for having me, and best of luck. And uh, with, I'll still be watching the Raptors. That was ESPN analyst, former New York Knicks general manager, longtime NBA executive Scott Perry. And that's going to do it for a deadline day edition of Smith & Jones. Again, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast: Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, review, share it as well. Fresh content every Thursday. On Sportsnet 590, the fan thanks to Scott Perry and to Doug Smith, to our producer, Austin Mackey. For Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks for tuning in to Smith & Jones.